in my weakness, he can be made strong in my life. And we need to understand something, folks, that in our weakness, God will be strong. We need, we need to never feel like we're limited by our weaknesses, but rather we need to realize that our weaknesses are, uh, our weaknesses are the cry of our heart to look to God as our strength. Your weakness is not your deficiency. Your weakness is a alarm system and a signal that you need to look to God as your strength. And when you do, he'll turn your weaknesses around and he'll use your weaknesses or he'll use you in the midst of your weaknesses. God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. God takes the things that are weak to uh, outdo the things that are strong. And so never underestimate what God can do in your life. I, I don't know who needs to hear that, but somebody need to hear that today. I hope you're encouraged by that. Now let's study our Bible. Should we be ready to get into God's word today? All right, let's study our Bible. Open up, open up your Bible with me today to, um, to Zechariah chapter four. And today I want to talk to you about the spirit of grace. My, my, my title is called the spirit of grace. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit the last several weeks. And today I'm talking to you about the spirit of of grace. And my subtitle is the gift to get results, the gift to get results. Now I'll tell you later what I mean by that and why I gave, you know, why I called it that the gift to get results is something we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit changes things. The Holy Spirit takes whatever you have and he fixes it. If it's broken, he fills it. If it's empty, he heals it. If it's sick, he, give, he, he, he enlightens it if it's dark. The Holy Spirit never leaves a situation the same way he finds it. But the Holy Spirit transforms our life and transforms our situation because he is God in the earth. Listen, we need to understand something that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But the Father is on the throne and Jesus is seated at the right hand of, of the Father. So who is representing God in this earth? The Holy Spirit. And how does he operate? He operates in us and through us. And he is called in the Bible, the spirit of grace. Now, the word grace in the Bible is the word gift. And so we to understand God's grace, we're saved by God's grace. That means we're saved as a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation is a gift of God. Grace is the gift that saves us, the gift of Jesus coming to this earth to save us so that we could walk with God and have a relationship with him from now into into eternity. That is God's grace. And the Holy Spirit simply carries out and carries on the, the grace of gift giving into our lives. So the father gives us the son. It's, he's a gift. Then the son gives us the Holy Spirit. He's a gift. And then the Holy Spirit gives us all of the grace that we need to live the life of victory that God created us to live. No one was created to live outside of God and no one was created to live empty of the Holy Spirit. The world is without God. The, the world of people without Jesus, they're without the Holy Spirit. And therefore, as much as they try hard to do what's right, they can't tap into God's power without the Holy Spirit. And that's what Zechariah is saying. Every one of us wants to build a great life. Every one of us wants to build a great future. Every one of us wants to build a great family or a great business or a, 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 great, a, a, a great, uh, great relationships with people or a great marriage 
or a great career. And to build anything, you need the master builder showing you how to do it. And the master builder is the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Zechariah chapter four, verse six, look at what he says. And he says, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I'll talk to you about this in the context that the scripture is, is, is written. But he's telling us that to build the life that God created us for, you're not going to do it by your own might. You're not going to be able to do it by your own power, but you are going to do it. You're going to be able to do it by the spirit of God. And then he says, so how does the spirit of God work? Verse seven tells us and shows us how he works. He says, who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So he says, you shall you shall bring forth the capstone or the top of the building. The building is going to be built with shouts of grace, grace to it. The way that we're going to be able to build the temple of God is by the Holy Spirit, not by might or power, but by God's spirit. And how does the spirit work? With shouts of grace, grace to it. So he says the spirit works through grace. The Holy Spirit does not work through condemnation or guilt or making you feel bad about your life. The Holy Spirit works through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit brings the grace of God. If I can explain it to you this way, go over to um, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I'm talking about the spirit of grace. Now, I want you to see the Holy Spirit the way he really is and not the way religion has taught us. Religion has told us that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of all your mistakes and the Holy Spirit is telling you how wrong you are and the Holy Spirit is grieved when you when you do something wrong and when you say something wrong and when you think something wrong and that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Holy Spirit is not so weak that you, when you cuss, he gets all upset and grieved. The Holy Spirit is not so weak that he can't handle your weaknesses. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, it is the Holy Spirit that helps our weaknesses. Not the Holy Spirit that shames us because of our weaknesses. He's not the Holy Spirit that exposes our weaknesses. He's not the Holy Spirit that condemns us for our weaknesses. He's the Holy Spirit that helps our weaknesses. He doesn't beat you up about it. He doesn't condemn you about it. He helps you in it. I wish I could get a Sunday morning amen here. I, I, I wish we could. I wish I could. I wish we could have a church service where it doesn't seem like a funeral service. Is anybody here alive? Come on, let me hear you. Hey, church isn't just about me stirring you up. It's about you stirring me up too. It says stir up one another. And we're not going anywhere. We're not moving on until we stir up one another. So, so slap your neighbor, yank the hair out the person in front. No, don't, don't do anything of like that. But encourage somebody. Turn around and, and, and stir them up. Say, man, God is in you. God loves you. God is for you. Come on, let's get some chit-chat going. Let's get some chatter going. Let's get everybody talking. You guys that are watching by webcast, man, pull this out of us today. There's power inside of every one of us. And I'm not here to put something in you. I'm here to help you discover what God has already put inside of you. And man, this ought to electrify you today. Something good is going to happen in your life today. Man, we've been waiting for God. We've been waiting for God to move and God has already moved and he's inside of you. And he's just waiting now for us to sort of remember it and recognize it and understand it, come out of our ignorance. 
That's what's holding us back. It's not like we, it's not like God is withholding his power. God has put all his power inside of you and he's just waiting for you to tap into it. It's already in you. This Christian life is not a, it's not a, um, a search for God's heavenly power to come down to this earth. It is a discovery of what God has already put inside of you. He has hidden all of his treasures of wealth and greatness and power on the inside of you by causing his spirit to dwell inside of you. You have inside of you everything you'll ever need. And I'm trying to teach you something here. But he calls this the spirit of grace. He calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of grace and supplication here. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. The spirit of grace and supplication. And that word supplication means prayer. In other words, you can't pray without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't have grace without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is interchangeable with grace and the grace of God is interchangeable with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Spirit of grace. And if you go over to Hebrews chapter 10, let me show it to you there. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, I just want to kind of lay this foundation so that we can really tap into this power. But in Hebrews 10, 29, he says, or how much worse punishment do you suppose will be for him that, that, that tramples underfoot the Son of God counts the blood of the covenant as unworthy or common and, and insults the spirit of grace. So now notice here how he, how he describes the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is not the spirit of condemnation. The Holy Spirit is not the spirit of judgment. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Just like the throne of God is not the throne of condemnation. It's not the throne of judgment. It is the throne of grace. And he says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We've got to get our minds renewed about the Holy Spirit. He's not the, he's not the spirit of condemnation. He's not the spirit of religion. He's not the spirit of legalism and rules and regulations. He's the spirit of grace. He's the spirit of grace. And let me tell you something. The whole and I'm jumping to the conclusion, but we'll, we'll catch up to it in a moment. But the whole thing about this whole idea of living the Christian life is all about yielding to the Holy Spirit. And as a result of yielding to the Holy Spirit, His power works in us and His power works through us unto obedience. Our obedience does not cause His power. His power causes our obedience. Our obedience does not cause God to give us His Spirit. God giving us His Spirit as a gift empowers us to obey God. If you're having a struggle, if you're having trouble obeying God, it's not because you're so bad. It's because you haven't learned how to yield to the spirit of grace, the spirit of God's gifts, the spirit of God's generosity, the spirit of what God has given you. And the number one reason why God gives us the Holy Spirit is to make known to you, and I'll show you this in the scripture, but to make known to you what has freely been given to you in Christ, what's already yours. The Holy Spirit does not come to give you a hope for something to come one day, the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to you what is already yours in Christ. Now, we'll come, to, we'll come back to that. But what he, look at what he's saying. He's saying the punishment, punishment comes to those who do not think that the blood of Jesus, the blood of the covenant is enough. And instead, they trample underfoot the Son of God and they insult 
the spirit of grace. Now, what does it mean to insult the spirit of grace? He, he says very simply, insulting the spirit of grace is to not believe in the power of the blood covenant. It's to not believe that the blood of Jesus is enough. Listen, Jesus didn't say it is halfway done when he shed his blood on the cross in John 1930. He said it is finished. He didn't say I'm halfway done. Now you do the rest. He said it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. In other words, what insults the spirit of God is not you smoking after church. Come on, Marlboro man, you know you're out there. Some of you got a pack of camels in your pocket right now. You know you do. That doesn't grieve God. That doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. I know that some of you might leave the church because, oh, he said it's okay to smoke. I didn't say it's okay to smoke. Look on the side of the smoking. Look on the side of the, I'll get my pack out. Let me show you. No. <laughs> Look on the side of a s- cigarette package. And it has warnings from the Surgeon General. And I was in the, uh, an international airport recently. And it's funny. It doesn't say, like, it's not this long, it's not this long paragraph. Warning, the Surgeon General reports that smoking is bad for your health and could lead to such and such side effects. It literally says in these duty-free shops, cigarettes kill. Let me tell you something. You don't need the Holy Ghost to tell you that. You don't need anybody to tell you that cigarettes kill. So I'm not encouraging you to go smoke. What I'm saying is that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. That doesn't cussing doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, because if it did, we'd all be lost going to hell right now. Come on. Some of you are cussing on the way to church today. Blankety blank. We're late. (laughs) What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to to ease your mind from the religious box that we've been living in so that we no longer relate to God on the basis of rules and regulations, but relate to God based on the spirit of grace. Now, the grace of God will enable you to live godly in this present world. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, the spirit of God, the spirit of grace, grace will enable you, it will empower you to live godly in this present world. Without God's grace, without the spirit of grace, we can't, we really can't operate the way God intended us to. Why else would Jesus say to his disciples? Now think about this. So Jesus' disciples followed him for three years, three and a half years of his earthly ministry. His disciples followed him. And after he rose from the dead, and by the way, they saw miracles and healings and, and he walked on water and they, they just the blind eyes opened, dead people raised. Uh, as we already read earlier, all you could eat buffet dinners, you know, bread and fish for everybody. This is what, what, what these people witnessed was amazing. And yet listen to what Jesus told them in Acts chapter one, verse four. Let's look there real quick. Acts chapter one, verse four. And notice what he said, being assembled together. Jesus gathers his disciples and he commands them. He doesn't command them not to sin. He commands them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which you heard of from me for John baptized with water. Verse five says John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So what is he telling them to do? Even though they had followed him for three and a half years, 
even though they were with him, they, they, they camped with him, they, they boated with him, they fished with him, they, they preached with him, they cast out demons with him, they raised the dead with him, they, they, they did everything with him, they saw these miracles with him, and yet he said, wait, wait, wait. Why? Because just being around Jesus did not qualify them for fulfilling their purpose, but the Holy Spirit baptizing them is what qualified them for fulfilling God's purpose for their life. That's why he said back in verse 4, if you put that up again, back in verse 4, it says, Jesus said to them, wait, wait, wait for the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father. And boy, that is how we should live every day of our lives. We should not try to get God to keep his promise. We should wait expecting him to keep his promise. We should live our life, and this word wait is not a, like a, it's not a bad word, like just sit there and wait. It's expect. Wait and expect for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, which he said you heard of from me. There's something we got to understand about God's love, is that one of the characteristics of, of God's love is that when God says, I love you, he means I will keep my promise to you. I will keep my promise. Love is a promise kept. You know, I know that, you know, many people here think love is a puppy. <laughs> or you think love is a kitty cat. Or you think love, you know, based on, you know, different uh, Hallmark cards. But love is a promise kept. Love is a promise kept. And when God says, I love you, he means I keep my promises to you. I will not break my promise to you. That's love. That's what love does. Love makes a promise and keeps that promise. And it's the love of God that we need to get right first. Before we figure out how to love one another, we need to figure out how great his love is for us. And that will cause the reflex of us loving one another. I know I'm getting, a, get, getting deep into some stuff here, but let me back up now. He says, wait for what the Father promised, and which is the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. It's not something we earn. He is not something that we work for or deserve or obey long enough to get him to come and live inside of us. We can't clean out the, you know, clean out the closet so that God will move into the closet. We can't clean out our apartment so God will move into our apartment. Listen, the way to dispel darkness is not to yell at it. The way to get rid of darkness is not to get mad at it. The way, way to get rid of darkness is not to shout at it or to dance around it or to do, you know, even to pray that it would, that, that it would go away. The way to get rid of darkness is to turn on the light. When you walk in the spirit, boom, that's the light. As soon as you, as soon as you walk in the spirit, as soon as you understand the Holy Spirit, you've turned on the light and darkness leaves. Darkness leaves when light comes. You don't have to be super spiritual to get light in your house. All you got to do is turn the switch on. That's all you got to do. It's turning the switch on. Nobody has to pray hard enough, fast, you know, obey, be holy in order to get the light on in your house. All you do is flip the switch. All you do is turn on the light. And that's how, that's how God operates. That's how darkness leaves you. That's how that's how problems leave your life. That's how addictions leave your life. If you don't, you, you, it's not you trying hard enough. It's you turning on the light and darkness flees. And the, 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 the entrance of his word brings the light. The entrance of his word brings light. And the spirit of God is the candle of man, the candle 
of the Lord in the heart of man. The Spirit of God brings light and the Word of God brings light and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of grace. And what I'm trying to say is everything that happens in the book of Acts. Now remember, before Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times, the one who sank in the water, the one who let his emotions get ahead of him and cut people's ears off. Peter's the one that tells God, you got the wrong agenda. You got the wrong plan. Let me tell you what the plan really is, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is the same Peter that after the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of him and baptizes him, this is the guy who preaches the first evangelistic sermon or evangelistic message and 3,000 people are saved. What I'm trying to say is, where was this power when Peter was with Jesus for three and a half years, every day and every night? Peter could not walk in the power because the power of God was around him. Peter walked in the power when the power of God was in him. It's in you. It's, he's in you. So, so Jesus says to Peter and the rest of them, don't go anywhere until you wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they said, is in verse 7, um, is, are you going to restore... Are you going to restore the kingdom in verse, I guess it's verse six. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to the earth in the earth today? Are you going to bring your kingdom here on earth now? And Jesus said, stop getting focused on current events. Man, what this world wants you focused on is current events. And what God wants you focused on is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And Jesus, he solves the current event issue. I'm not saying we shouldn't be aware of it. We, should, we just shouldn't be moved by it. We shouldn't be seeking to understand everything that's happening in the world. What we need to do is walk in God's power, and that will solve the darkness of this world. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Don't worry about the times or the seasons the Father has put in his authority. But you, verse 8, but as for you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and that's when you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. In other words, it's going to be a ripple effect. It's going to start inside of you, and then it's going to affect Jerusalem, and then all of Judea, and then Samaria, and then the remotest parts of the earth. The ends of the, ends of the earth. He's saying the ends of the earth. You will change this earth. We will change this world when we wait for the power of the Holy Spirit and now the whole power of the Holy Spirit has come. Now we need to learn how to tap into that power. And what we should be expecting now. What should we be setting our expectations for in our lives? So, so our, I hope this makes sense so far. I'm just trying to lay this foundation for you. Look at Psalm, the Psalm 46, verse 4. Because the Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. And the Spirit of grace is the secret to man's needs. As I said earlier, Without God's Spirit, there is no hope. God without man is still God, but man without God is nothing. God without man is still God, but God, God without man is still God, but man without God is nothing. But he says this. Now watch this. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. Now this is really what I want to get to. That there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the temple of the Most High. Now, 
we are now the temple of the Most High. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the problem that exists among Christians today is not a lack of power. It's a lack of knowledge. Because notice what he asks. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? He doesn't say your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who will one day come in you. He says, you born again Corinthians, you born again people, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in your body and he's not leaving. He's staying there forever. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. And therefore, you don't ever need to be afraid that somehow you're going to push it to the limit and God's going God's to gonna scram. You know what? Other people might have left you, but he will never leave you. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit and living a fearless life is you can live fearless knowing that even when you fall and stumble, he's not going to back out of his part of the deal or his end of the bargain. He's staying. He's not going. He's not leaving. He's not he's not going to fail you or forsake you. Now you say you say you shouldn't tell people that, Pastor, that'll give them a reason to go out and keep sinning and doing bad stuff because now now you've given them the, 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 the fire insurance that God will never leave. And that's not fire insurance. That's just the truth of God's love. He's never going to leave you. The awareness of that drives fear out of your life. It doesn't drive you to sin. It drives fear out of your life. So if you go back to, because here's the whole point, there is a, there is a river Back in this Psalm chapter um, that I gave you, I think it's verse uh, 46 or whatever it was I quoted, um, Psalm 46, verse 4. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, where God dwells. He dwells in you and there is a river that makes you glad. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot there's a lot of sadness in, in many of the Christians that I meet and talk to. Most of the people that I know are discouraged despair, depressed, down. We already read the study that half of, peop- half of the people in America are lonely and either lonely or depressed. If you take lonely or depressed, then it, it makes up closer to 60 to 70 percent of the people in America, studies show, are con- consider themselves lonely or depressed. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's staggering when you think about that. And yet he tells us the secret to gladness is this river there's a river that makes glad, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High God, which, by the way, is you, right? We've already established you are the city of God. You are the tabernacle of God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So now there's a river that makes you glad. So if you're not glad, it's because the river isn't flowing, or you've stopped up the river, or you don't know there's a river, and you're ignorant of it. Do you not know that the Holy Spirit lives inside you? Do you not know, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? So what is this river that he's talking about? Well, we only simply have to go to Jesus' words in John chapter 7, verse 38, to find out what he's talking about. John chapter 7, verse 38. Anybody still with me? I know you want to figure out how to pay your bills. I know you want to figure out how to have peace in your life. This is how to have peace. There's a river who's Dreams make glad the city of God. The, the number one thing that people want in life is to be happy, to be glad, to be rejoicing, to have joy, to be at peace. And where does this come from? He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. What? What kind of living water? 
Rivers. What kind of living water? Rivers. And what is it that makes you glad? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And what is he talking about? Well, you only have to go to the next verse to find out what he's talking about. Verse 39. And this he spoke concerning the spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit, though, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus had to be glorified. And he was when he rose from the dead. And when he went back to heaven, he was glorified. And then he sent his spirit and he said, don't go anywhere without my spirit. Don't go anywhere without first receiving this promise of the father. And then he talks about what this promise does is it brings you gladness. The Holy Spirit does not make you sad. The Holy Spirit makes you glad. And if you're born again, if you're a born again child of God and, and, and there's not gladness flowing in your life, it's not because God's not there. It's because you're ignorant that he's there. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's saying the problem is not that you don't have enough Holy Spirit. The problem is you don't know. You might hope, think, want, desire, but you don't know. And he says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. This awareness is what God's after, like us becoming aware we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's not waiting for you to fix something so he can come in there and not leak. He is living inside of you and he promises you in Hebrews chapter. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Well, let me read this to you. He said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. Now, religion is always erring on the side of abasement, self-abasement. Like, let's not have, let's be, let's be poor and broke and, and, and somber and humble. That's the idea of humility, and that's not humility at all in the Bible. Okay, now you need to hear what I'm saying here, because religion always errs on the side of a scripture like this. Be content with such things as you have. We always interpret that because religious preaching has gotten into our head and we got to get our minds renewed. But religious preaching has got into our head and told us, well, whatever you have, if you just have a little, be content, be content. If you just have a little, be content. And there is some truth to that, but it's such a, it's such a limited view of God's goodness. Oh, he said, you just have a little, so you better be content with just a little. And he's not, he doesn't ever say here that you have a little. He says contentment comes from knowing what you have. You will be content when you know what you have. This is what delivers you from covetousness. It's not this, this spiritual, holy contentment. I'm content with what I have. I have such a little, but I'm such a little worm, but I'm content with being a little worm in the hands of God. That's, that's how most people interpret this verse. But he's saying, 
contentment. He's given us a secret. The scripture has all the secrets to life in it. And he's given us a secret. He's saying you will be content when you understand the things that you have. Most people just don't realize what they have. What do you have? You have eternal life. What do you have? You have the spirit of God. What do you have? You've not been given the spirit of fear, but you have power, love and a sound mind. What do you have? You have all the promises of God. What do you have? You have the armor of God. What do you have? You have the grace of God. What do you have? You have the love of God inside you. What do you have? You have the breastplate of righteousness. What do you have? The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. What do you have? You have Jesus Christ and with him, he freely gives you all things. That's when you become content, when you discover what you have. Let me tell you something. I'm not here to build a great church. I'm here to build you into the person that God made you to be. It's not even me building you. It's the Holy Spirit building you through a discovery of what's in you. Because you know what makes up a great church is people that understand the greatness of God that's inside of them and recognizes it in one another. And then the world becomes jealous and says, Ooh, man, what is inside of you guys? What do you, Ooh, you guys got electricity running through your vein, man. Can I get some of this power? Where can I get this? Cause, cause in Acts chapter eight, this magician that had spiritual powers from the devil saw the power of God in Peter and the apostles and came up to Peter and said, I'll pay for the power you have, whatever power you have, give it to me. I'll pay you for whatever it is. In other words, he saw such this, this, this. This demonic person, still with all of his demonic sorcery, saw how valuable the power of the Holy Spirit was, and he was willing to pay for it. You don't have to, come, you don't have to pay anything to come on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for our ministry and worship time. It's free. And that guy was willing to pay for admission. I'll see you then. I'll see, I'll see them, but I'm not done. Listen to what he says. We have to realize this power is what the world is after. Because remember what sin did? Sin made us powerless. Sin made us sad and sin made us lonely. And Jesus removes sin and then gives the Holy Spirit to give us power, to give us joy, and to give us comfort and the presence of God forever. The Holy Spirit is the solution for what Adam and Eve broke. Jesus removes the sin so that God can come live in. Jesus removes the sin so God can come live within. And he lives within you by the Holy Spirit. You say, yeah, but I'm all messed up and I'm all screwed up and I don't, I don't even know half the scriptures you know. I don't hold, hardly know anything about the Bible. It doesn't matter. God's still living inside of you when you're born again. And, and all you need to do to learn the Bible is to read it. And hear it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. So contentment comes from knowing such things as you have. It's not just be thankful for the little. There's nothing there's nothing wrong about that. Be thankful for whatever you have. If it's little right now, that's okay. But you have to discover what you have in Christ. And that's what brings real contentment. And so. This is the number one ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come back to the book of Acts and maybe even Hebrews 13. But let me bring you to uh, to make this point clearer. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, I want to show you what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Because this is something most Christians just don't see. They don't hear. Most preachers don't preach about the Holy Spirit in this way. I don't know why. It's all right here. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. What spirit is this? The Holy Spirit or the spirit of grace. Interchangeably, they're the same thing. The Holy Spirit or the spirit of grace or the spirit that is a gift. Because the word grace means gift. The spirit that is a gift. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved. It's God's favor. God's spirit living inside of you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. So he, we, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Notice what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to tell you what you don't have. It's not to tell you what you need to fix. It's not to tell you what you've done wrong. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to show you what God has freely given to you. It is what any ministry, any person that stands up and preaches and says, the Holy Spirit told me three people are going to drop dead if they don't repent of this and repent of that. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is a wrong spirit. That is an evil spirit. That is a false spirit because the Holy Spirit does not operate that way. The guy that died in the book of Acts is not, he didn't die because the Holy Spirit killed him. The Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit doesn't take life. He died because he didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the, he he wasn't even born again, most likely. Thought he could buy God through and all of that. We don't have time to get into that, but suffice it to say, the Holy Spirit doesn't kill anybody. It is the Spirit who gives life. Nowhere does the Bible say the Spirit takes life. See, we have to interpret Scripture by the nature of God and the character of God described by Scripture. You can't interpret Scripture in a vacuum. You can only interpret Scripture by understanding the nature of God that is, that, is told, that is communicated to us by the Scripture. The Scripture says God is good. The Scripture says God loves. The Scripture says God gives. The script- now, yes, God is just and God, is, it, God will pour out wrath, but he poured out his wrath on Jesus. The only, one that doesn't get, the only one that doesn't get protected from God's wrath is the one that's not under the umbrella of his blood. Who's the only one that gets wet when it rains? The one who doesn't have anything covering him. The only one that, gets, that, that doesn't get wet is the one that's covered. And we've been washed by the blood better than covered. The Old Testament, they were covered. We're washed. We're made new by the blood. All right, so here's the point. The point is this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come to reveal to you what's wrong. He doesn't come to you to reveal to you what you've done wrong and what you, where you've sinned. You say, oh, you're, you're saying that, that people should just get away with sin and get away with doing whatever they want. You, sin has its own set of consequences. A pumpkin seed has a pumpkin harvest. You plant pumpkin seed, you're going to get a pumpkin harvest. You, you plant a carrot seed, you're going to get a carrot harvest. We reap what we sow. We don't, but you don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that. You, all you got to do is go outside and plant a seed and put it in some soil and water and it'll grow every time, every single time. Why? Because that's the way God made it. That's the way the universe operates. What am I trying to say is you don't, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to tell you, don't do this and don't do that. You already know those things. 
Common sense tells you those things. Your conscience tells you those things. Your wife tells you those things. Your husband tells you those. Your people tell you. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you those things. You need the Holy Spirit to make it real to you what has been freely given to you. So why does he give us the Holy Spirit? That we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Say that. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Why does he give us the Holy Spirit? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Say it again. That we might know the things freely given to us by God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Why do I... Come on, pastor, stop talking to us like we're kids. Well, we're all God's kids. You, gotta, you learn by repetition. You got to hear this over and over and over again to get it. Listen, what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today is reveal to you the free gifts that you have. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to reveal. Because when you understand you have the free gift of salvation, you cease struggling to keep it. When you understand you have the free gift of healing, you cease struggling and begging God to heal you. When you understand that you have the free gift of blessing, you stop struggling and wondering, am I doing something wrong? Is God judging me? Is God mad at me? No. The Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to you that you have been given the blessing. You have been given healing. You have been given the gift of righteousness. You have been given the abundance of grace. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given the wisdom of God. You've been given the power of God. You've been given the goodness of God. You've been given the love of God. It's all in you. It's all yours. It's all free. And the more aware you are of how free it is, the more freely you receive it, the more freely you can give it, and the more freely we can get the gospel out to this dying world that is hurting and needs to know the goodness and the love and the grace of God. So, so in Acts chapter 2, and we'll tie this together now. So in Acts chapter 2, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then in verse, verse 4, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And if you look at verse 6, and they all heard them speaking. When the multitude came together, they all, everyone heard them speak in his own language. This is so beautiful about the Holy Spirit. Is the first thing that the Holy Spirit did, notice this, because he came to make known to us what has been freely given to us by God. The first thing he did in Acts chapter 2 was he caused everybody to understand. He caused everybody to understand. In other words, they all, everyone heard them speak in his own language. In other words, when they were speaking in tongues, it wasn't to show people how spiritual they were. It was to empower everybody to understand what God was trying to say to them. This is a beautiful thing about what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is to get us to understand. It's to get us to all understand. He speaks our language. He gets us to understand. He relates to uh, everybody in whatever language it takes for them to get it. Boy, I wish we'd get a hold of this. Be a lot more people praying in tongues when you realize, man, pray, the Spirit of God, the language of the Holy Spirit will enable everybody to understand that God will speak your language. And you'll understand in your language. You can't understand 
Egyptian or Hebrew. These people were from all these other regions. They didn't, they didn't all speak one language. They spoke hundreds of languages, but all of them understood when the Holy Spirit started speaking through people. Because why does God give us the Holy Spirit? So that we understand what has been freely given to us by God. And so that people understand what's been freely given to us by God. I'm not saying you should go out onto the train today and start praying in tongues really loud. That's not going to give people understanding. They're going to go, you're nuts. But what I'm trying to say is, because we should speak in tongues to God. When we're praying to God, we should speak to him, not try to tell other preach, speak to other people in tongues. This is, there is a place for that when there's an interpretation. My, my, my point is, is the Holy, God's trying to show us how good the Holy Spirit is, is he makes everybody understand if you're, if you're willing to listen. And then it says in, um, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and in them and upon them, Peter started preaching and we don't have time to get into all of this. We'll get into this later, but it says that verse 41, and those that received his word, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So notice, they didn't get baptized in order to receive something. They received it, and then they were baptized. And they were, they were added to the church, 3,000 souls that were saved. And then in verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and, and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And I want you to see these four things as we close, is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of grace caused them. They, they, they weren't doing these things before the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They were doing these things after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to tell you is the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, empowered them to produce the results of Christianity that we're trying to imitate. We try to be devoted and steadfast and fellowship. We try to come to church and we try to break bread and we try to pray and we try to do all the things. We try to repeat what Acts chapter 2 tells us to do and it's not telling us what to do. It's telling us what happened when they received the Holy Spirit. And what I'm trying to tell you is when you freely receive the Holy Spirit, you will begin to become steadfast. You will begin to listen to the teaching. You will begin to be a good friend and fellowship with others and create community. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will enable you and empower you to appreciate and celebrate the body of the body and blood of Jesus through the Lord's table and the Lord's supper, which is he talking about here. And he will empower you to pray. What we need to stop doing is reading the Bible and trying to imitate what's in it, but rather read the Bible and recognize cause and effect. The Holy Spirit came into them and came upon them and it, it resulted in them continuing, staying together, being steadfast, when we break away from each other, that is because we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. When we stay together, it's because we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. When we don't want to listen to the Word of God, it's because we're not, we're, not, we're not aware of God's Spirit in us that wants to teach us. Most of the time, we don't want to listen to the Bible because we don't think we can understand it. It's not because we don't love God and we don't want to 
learn is that we don't think we'll understand. And the Holy Spirit will make you to understand. And the reason we don't fellowship is because we're constantly needing more from people than what they can give. And we need to fellowship out of the overflow of what the Holy Spirit puts in us and has given to us and, 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 and enter into fellowship with each other on the giving side where you're focused on how you can be a blessing to somebody else rather than take from some, somebody else. And why don't we break bread is because we think we, we blew it and the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us you don't take communion because you got it all together. You take communion because he got it all together. He got game. He got it all together. You understand what I'm trying to say? And why don't we pray? Because we don't know how to pray as we should. But Romans 8, 26, but the spirit himself knows how to pray and intercedes for us. So as we lift our voice in praying in tongues, as we open our mouth in praise and worship, the Holy Spirit is praying through us to help our weaknesses and to bring to pass the will of God for our lives. Does this make any sense to anybody? Come on, let's stand together.